The views and opinions expressed on the Untold History Revealed podcast are solely those of the individual stating them and are not necessarily those of the Untold History Revealed owners. Now sit back and grab a cup of coffee or tea as we discuss some moments in history that may have been untold or forgotten. Another episode of Untold History Revealed starts now. Hi, gang, and welcome to another episode of Untold History Revealed. I am your host, Sean Donnelly. And I'm your co-host, Marianne Donnelly. Well, in case you've never heard of us before, uh, let me explain a little bit who we are and what we're doing and all that fun stuff like that. Uh, Marianne and I are owners of DarkShadowGhostTours.com and PanicD.com. And we do a lot of uh, travels and research and things like that. And we thought, well, just for fun, for a hobby, we'll put together this little historical-related podcast of different little tidbits that we find here and there and some of the volumes of research that we've done that might not be quite paranormal related but uh we could put some stuff out there for future generations to kind of learn a little bit of history um you know some things you don't find in movies <laughs> <laughs> yes he said it again he did um but uh on this episode uh, we're going to continue on with our uh Gettysburg theme because it is the month of July and the uh, anniversary was the first, second, and third. And uh, so we're going to talk about some tidbits, maybe a little. We just we're going to piece some stories together to make up the hour podcast. Um, different things related to the Battle of Gettysburg or the town of Gettysburg, um, so to speak. But um, maybe some things you have heard, haven't heard before. I don't know. Who cares? We'll throw it out there. So in our uh, last episode, we were talking about Abraham Lincoln being sick during the uh, delivery of the Gettysburg Address. Yes. Uh, and it actually turned out that he had smallpox. Yes. And uh, he almost didn't didn't go right. to Gettysburg to do it because uh, their son was sick. Yes. Um Remember, Willie had died the year previous, um, and while Willie was sick with typhoid, Tad was also sick with typhoid, but Tad got better, Willie died. Um, However, in two weeks preceding um, Lincoln's leaving to go to, to do the Gettysburg Address, Tad actually was quite ill. And he had a high fever, and he just wasn't doing well. He wasn't able to eat. Um, And Mrs. Lincoln was like, you can't go. I mean, you have to stay here. And she got hysterical, and and he's like, you know, forget this. I'm, I'm going. So he goes. He wasn't, I mean, Mary didn't want him to go, but he, he ends up going. Well, she was crazy anyways. But also, you know, it's, you know, the kid's sick. It's the middle of the war. Why are you leaving? But he ends up going. Probably get away from her. (laughs) And along the way. Going anyways, woman. Along the way, on on the train ride there, he started feeling sick. and, And he was feverish. And he just, as you said in the last podcast, you know, he wasn't doing well on the day of. Um. 
And it turns out that when he went home, he continued to get worse. And by the, I think it was like the fourth day, he um, started getting uh, red blotches and um, things weren't going well. He ended up uh, being diagnosed as having smallpox. Um, they actually didn't know what he had. They thought, well, maybe it's scarlet fever or maybe it's malaria, you know. Uh, they didn't know what was wrong with Tad, but they didn't call it, they didn't call it, uh, typhoid. They'd had two other cases of typhoid. They knew what typhoid was. They never called it typhoid. Um, but the theory is that he had smallpox too. And, uh, Mr. President here, he ends up having smallpox and, uh, gives it apparently to his valet. His valet dies from it. Um, Lincoln says, yeah, I don't think I gave it to him. Maybe he got it from his valet. But his valet didn't seem to have any symptoms or anything until well after. Oh, Yeah. Okay. He ended up dying in, like, January. And they said that the timing of, you know... Um, the illness, which is like three weeks and things like that, it, it seemed right that Lincoln may have given that to him. But um, Lincoln does end up paying for him to be buried at Arlington and buys his headstone and he he pays for it all. So I don't know what that, I mean, he may have uh, had a little grief as to whether or not yeah. he passed that along or not. I think I may have got him sick. Um, uh, and, and But I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, and at the time, it, it was about a one out of three who contracted smallpox that died. Mm -hmm. And so they look at it saying, well, here's, here's Tad, here's the president, and here's the valet. And the valet didn't make it. That's that one, one out, out of three. three. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how many others did he pass this on to? Um, I do have a couple of statements from him. Do you want me to say those? Sure, go ahead. Uh, after he had, you know, kind of had this illness for a while, the president, they, they called in um, a doctor for a consultation to try to figure out what's wrong with him. Uh, it was Dr. Washington Chu Ben Van Bieber, and he diagnosed him with a mild case of smallpox. And he wrote down um, a conversation that he had had in an autobiography. Um, it said, Mr. President, if I were to give a name to your malady, I should say that you have a touch of varyloid, which was the old name for smallpox. Uh, when Then I am to understand that I have smallpox, Lincoln asked, to which the doctor assented. How interesting, Mr. Lincoln said. I find that every now and again, and then unpleasant situations in my life have certain compensation. As you came in just now, did you pass through the waiting room? He replied, I passed through a room full of people. Yes, that's the waiting room, and it's always full of people. Do you have any idea what they're there, there for? Well, said the doctor, perhaps I could guess. Yes, said Mr. Lincoln, they are there, every mother's son of them. For one purpose only, namely to get something from me. For once in my life as president, I find myself in a position to give everybody something. 
what saw the president went home with a case of smallpox. Perhaps, perhaps, yeah. Um, <sighs> but he ended up having, uh, being weak and, and unable to really do much for about 25 days. Um, and he eventually got a little bit better, but uh, he, uh, he may have passed on some smallpox to some others. Oh, I imagine at Gettysburg. I know. 10,000 10, people, people being around, in. staying at the Will's house, the people who traveled with them on the train. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and we talked about those other eyewitnesses. They were like 15 feet away from him while he was talking, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. So President Lincoln not only came for the Gettysburg Address, but to spread his smallpox contamination. Yeah. That, that it seems he probably got from his son. But where did his son get it? I don't know. Well, you know, those boys used to play with the soldiers and stuff. And the soldiers would, you know. Yeah, they would play war and they they had friends and they would go to other people's houses and they would come to their house, yeah. to the White House. And there were always people coming to the White House, as Lincoln even mentioned, you know, to get right. something from him. So I I don't know where he got it, but it seems that Tad had a touch of smallpox, passed it on to Daddy, and Daddy passed it on to some others brought it to gettysburg brought which it, is the yeah. the theme of this podcast right ties it all back in the ties it back to gettysburg again. <sighs> yeah so. all right so uh that's one let's let's so, talk about yep. this this other little character daniel sickles you remember <laughs> his story oh yeah mr legless himself yeah. daniel sickles yeah all right so daniel sickles he's a special was, legless uh, man yeah he was a a politician basically and when war broke out he became a officer from a politician basically i don't know this guy was a real character um he was involved in several public scandals one of which for killing his wife's lover yes yeah she was a cheating on him she was so he fixed he, that he killed, uh, he was acquitted of that for uh, temporary insanity. Um, but basically, his wife lover, his wife's lover was Philip Barton Key II, the son of Francis Scott Key. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now... And, and his uh, acquittal for temporary insanity is the first, right? The first mm. time, the first time it was used, I believe. Was it? I think it was. Yep. I think. Yep. I think it was. Yep. His he was acquitted after using temporary insanity as a legal defense for the first time in United States history. Yep. Crime of passion. Now there was something, and I can't remember what it was, but there was something about that fence. He killed him by a fence. Yeah, it's, I think he was trying to climb over the fence to get away or something. But somehow that fence is is in Washington. I don't know if it's a fence around the White House. I don't remember. There was something that they about used that fence. the fence later. Yeah, the Ooh. fence was repurposed. But yeah, there you go. Look that up while I, while I keep on talking. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So, anyways, uh, Sickles was at the Battle of Gettysburg, um, and he was. I think he was down around Devil's Den. That's where he was at. And he was basically told to 
hold his ground and he didn't listen and he charged ahead and it was basically he had a lot of uh, the people under his command was killed and and all that stuff but he ended up losing his leg and being a politician and a man of diplomatic stature or whatever he basically said uh you're not getting rid of my leg even though they were cutting it off they weren't going to throw it out he was going to keep his leg remember that yes absolutely and <laughs> yes he he kept it he did keep it yeah they cut it off and instead of it getting thrown in with all the other legs and arms and things like that in the field hospital disposal uh he he kept a hold of that thing okay so i know we're talking about his leg but this thing about the fence is it's bugging me i know that the guy he shot was trying to climb over his escape over the fence at his house and he shot him by the fence or on the fence or something like that but did you you look that up um, it looks like it says um in February of 1859, in front of a dozen witnesses in Lafayette Square in Washington, he shot down Key in a dispute over Key's interest in Sickles' young wife. Of course I killed him, he said at the time. He deserved it. And then, ironically, the fence from Lafayette Square, where the killing took place, was later moved to border the new Gettysburg Cemetery. So it's it's now oh, the border okay. of the National Cemetery. And I know Gettysburg. what fence they're talking about. They're talking about that black wrought iron fence. That yeah, it is a wrought iron fence. Evergreen Cemetery and a National yes. Cemetery. Yes, yes. Been by that on many occasions. And it was apparently damaged. It was apparently damaged a couple years ago um, in a storm uh, in 2008 one of the Gettysburg witness trees in the National Cemetery got damaged and along with that there was some damage to the fence but they did do some repair work and it's looking all good now. So the actual fence where Francis Scott Key's son was killed is Is actually now part of the National National Cemetery. All right so let's get back to the leg. Okay all right so hey power of Google. That's right they said that he's they're not going to chuck his leg in a pile and Basically, he was he was hit by a cannonball on the right leg, and it was so bad that they had to remove it. Um, they put a tourniquet around it, and they were carrying him back to a farmhouse um, for basically the pending surgery. Right. And while he was heading back, he was puffing on a cigar, you know, trying to cheer up his soldiers and, you know, put his soldiers in good spirits and stuff like that. Um, now, after they removed the leg, he insisted of being taken back to washington dc and um you know this is the kind of guy this is you know the reason why he wanted to go back to dc is so that he could brag the of all the union victories at gettysburg he could be there first to brag about it um which he was uh he reached uh dc on july 4th which was a day after everything was done he's bragging about all the union victories Now, quite interesting, though, on the 5th, July 5th, um, President Lincoln and his son, Tad, uh, went and visited him in the the hospital while he was recovering. True. Um, That is interesting. Yeah. (laughs) 
this guy was a character. Um, but later he found out that the uh, Army Surgeon General was collecting uh, specimens of morbid anatomy together with projectos and projectiles and foreign bodies that were removed. Mm-hmm. He was collecting these to form a newly founded Army Medical Museum in Washington, D.C. And, of course, Sickles said, hey, I got my leg. Yeah. So he preserved his leg and sent it over to this uh, museum mm-hmm. in a little coffin-shaped box. Put <laughs> put a, car, a calling card on it. It said, with the compliments of Major General D.E.S., and then for several years thereafter, on the um, anniversary of his amputation, he would go over to the museum and visit his leg. <laughs> and that's actually called the National Museum of Health and Medicine, which still has his leg on display. I think it's cool that he used to go visit his leg. Yeah. Hey, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, but it just so. goes to show how important he was that... They listen and they're like, yeah, okay, we'll let you keep your leg and hold on to it instead of throwing it in that pot. I mean, yeah. normally they'd be like, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever, right. dude. Uh, but lucky to be alive. Yeah, but they let him keep it, and I think it's really interesting uh, Can you imagine getting hit in the leg with a there. cannonball? No. Oh. That had to hurt. Dang gone. Definitely just, would see stars. Yeah. Yeah. But there was some controversy over his, you know, involvement at the Battle of Gettysburg. Anyways, um, I was wrong. He was, he was down by the uh, peach orchard, and he didn't like that position, so he decided to move. And uh, General Meade was kind of upset with him that over he did that his own thing. because it, it caused some advancement by the uh, uh, Southerners. And after the war, those two were at it. Uh, you know, Sickles was claiming what he did was direct result for them winning the Civil War. Where Meade's basically, it's like, you're full of baloney. You know, you, we almost lost it because of you and all this stuff. But um, Sickles actually eventually received the Congressional Medal of Honor. But it took 34 years for him to get it. Did he get it before he died? Um, or was it after? Do you know? Doesn't say. Mm. I do not know. I'd have to look up dates. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Because a lot of times people, unfortunately, get accolades after they're dead. And I was just wondering if he had his before. But. Daniel Edward, or Edgar Sickles. Yeah, interesting character. All right. So I think another thing to mention, too, is that, you know, of course the South lost the Gettysburg battle and eventually the war, but um, I think, I believe that Lee's ego is what made the South lose the Battle of Gettysburg. Because the one thing I didn't understand when we first went there as adults and kind of understood the battle of Gettysburg and what took place is the South attacked from the North and the North counterattacked from the South. 
Yeah, which always seems sort of backwards. Yeah. Why is the north coming from the south and the south coming from the north? It does. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, the, the layout of the town of Gettysburg itself is there's 11, 10 or 11 roads that run in the Gettysburg. And basically what the south did was is, is they came up from the south using the mountains as cover so that people couldn't see them coming up into northern territory which pennsylvania was a a northern state and lee wanted to win a battle on northern territory very badly and they were so far north that why they just didn't keep on going past gettysburg and just keep on hidden i i don't understand that but um yeah, they came down from the north and fought the Union Army, which created that, you know, if you ever go there, they talk about this fish hook that the Union Army created that blockaded the the south. And uh, with Lee, he kept being persistent in his ego, and he thought he was going to win that battle. And they kept at it for three days, and finally he just kind of retreated away from it. But. Yeah. So if he wasn't so egotistical, you think he would have just continued north? Either that or take a regiment or two and say, hey, just lay back. We're going to fight this battle. And when we know all the Union armies here, and you, you guys just sneak over to Washington and, like, kidnap the president or something. And woo we won, you know? Okay. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because they were already north of Gettysburg. Yeah, so if they would have done that, it could have been... Could have changed the whole outcome of the war. Yeah. You know, if they started taking, if they would have cut off the Union Army from Washington, you know know what I'm saying, and cut Mm -hmm. communications to the the president and all them generals and everybody who was in Washington, that kind of thing. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But Lee was very persistent of winning at Gettysburg that he probably didn't even think about that. I don't know. This is when I saw it laid out on the big map, and I'm like, why was the south coming from the north, <laughs> and the north was coming from the south? Wait, this don't make sense. Mm. And so from that, you figured all that out. That's cool. That's my opinion. Yeah. If somebody out there, I mean, there's people That's, out there that yeah. live by the Battle of Gettysburg, and if you're listening to this, send me a message and explain this to me, because in my head, it's like, Ur. Yeah, and there, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of people who, they, they look at military strategy. Right. We we don't do that. <laughs> I'm just looking at a common sense wise at a map saying, hmm. okay. okay, so I'm going to go up north and then fight my way back down south where I'm from, just to get a victory on northern territory. That was Lee's yeah. objective yeah. of the Battle of Gettysburg. And, so. and he was basically thinking, you think that hey, if we have a victory in the northern territories, it's going to make them. It even. would change the war because. To that point, all the battles were in the South, you know, and the South was totally devastated by the, you know, Civil War. There were no victories for the South on Northern Territory. And he he was thinking this would be, <coughs> this would be pushing the, the North even further down in their morale. And exactly, exactly. Because that's pretty much what Gettysburg did was... It was a it was a rallying time. This was one of the first battles they won in a while. Everything come to like a head, like yeah. a big pimple. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, everybody was there. Yeah. You know, so. Okay. 
right. So I think I mentioned before my interest with the Battle of Gettysburg and some of these other ones were, or, or a lot of these other battles were not really just the uh, military uh, involvement, but the civilians, the stories of the civilians that had to put up with the with the different things. And we got several books. I don't even think we cracked them all open oh, when we were at yeah. Gettysburg, but uh, just the different stories from civilians. You you got one there. Uh, what's the name of the book? Human Interest Stories of the Gettysburg Campaign, Volume, Volume Two. two. Uh, what, what's one of those stories? Just pick one out there. And... Okay. Uh, let's see here. This was something from July 1st of 1863. It says, uh, Hungry Confederate cavalrymen stopped at one farmhouse near Dover and asked for something to eat. The lady responded that she could prepare some hotcakes. The soldier sat on a large pile of ashes just outside the back door. When she brought the cakes to them, they asked where all the good Pennsylvania hams they'd heard so much about were. She told them ham was hard to come by. What the cavalrymen didn't know was the pile of ash that they were sitting on concealed the family supply of hams. <laughs> so they were looking for getting some of that ham, and those, those people were a little smart. Yep. They're like, let's hide this stuff from these guys. <laughs> I think it's funny they were sitting on him. <laughs> Didn't even know. Yeah. All right, so uh, we are looking at, well, break time. Break so time. Let's take right. a quick little break, and we'll come back and keep on with some tidbits of the Battle of Gettysburg. Okay. All right, stay tuned. calendars close your doors and turn off all the lights as twice a month bte radio brings you a new episode of the haunted spotlight sean and marianne donnelly of dark shadow ghost tours dig deep into the archives of the panic d database and take you inside a different location with each new episode learn the rich history and hear the paranormal claims of some of the most infamous and unsuspecting locations from around the country Ever wonder what roams the property or lurks behind those closed doors? Curious about the true history of that creepy house that sits down the street? Want to know what evidence a paranormal investigation group may have captured? Then find out every other Sunday and tune in to BTE Radio for another chilling episode of The Haunted Spotlight, if you dare. Okay, we are back, and we're talking about some little historical tidbits about Gettysburg and the Battle of Gettysburg. Um, Marianne just read a story out of one of these books. You got another one there? Yeah, this one's out of the uh, first volume of that. I guess I probably should have done them backwards, but uh, I guess I kind of did them backwards. I should have done them the other way, but this is from Human Interest Stories of the Gettysburg Campaign, Volume 1, and uh, it's, it's actually kind of amusing here. Uh, it says, tens of thousands of men still marched on the hot, dusty roads towards Gettysburg on July 1 
as commanders hastened up the rest of the two armies. One regiment of Massachusetts men in the 12th Corps was wearily hiking up Emmitsburg Road. As they passed through one small village, a local woman passed along the grimy and dusty-laden soldiers with evident delight, shaking hands and offering greetings and pleasantries. Soon, an unfurled American flag passed by. In great disgust, she spit out, I thought you were Rebs. She quickly turned around and stalked off. <laughs> so here's she this she woman. She thought she was... She thought she was hanging with the southern gents, and uh, turns out they were northern, and she just wasn't quite happy about that. And this gets whole, back to that whole story I was talking about. You know, they were coming from different directions. <laughs> right, yeah. They were coming from the south, and she thought they were southerners. She thought they were southerners. She and thought she they were the them. rebels. I don't know why she wanted to have the... Unless she was from the south originally. I don't know. I don't even know who she was. But... There's just thousands of stories like that. Yeah. They are interesting. Oh, yeah. There's there's all kinds of ties to to Gettysburg. I mean, one is uh, Richard Nixon. Yeah, President Nixon. Former President Nixon. Yeah, his ancestors. uh, Yeah, his great-grandfather actually uh, fought in the Battle of Gettysburg. Yeah, and he's buried in the National Cemetery there. Yes. For Ohio. For Ohio. Ohio. Yeah. So uh, you have some information on that? Uh, I have the story of um, when he was actually wounded in battle in Gettysburg. uh, And then eventually he did die there. But um, he was uh, basically damaged. He was struck by Confederate bullets in his right hip and side. in a skirmish on the west of Cemetery Ridge. And then he was left there in the sun, wounded throughout the day in the hot sun. So can you imagine, like, say, With July With all these other 1st. people around him dead. Yeah, but July 1st, when the battle started, that night. You know, and I think we mentioned before, they didn't fight early in the morning and late at night. You know, they fought during the day. Right. But at night. Imagine the the civilians who are hunkered down in their basements, and only thing that they could hear coming from the fields are the cries and the moans of wounded soldiers and animals and everything. July 1st, July 2nd, July 3rd imagine three days of that yeah and then after that it was safe and i know and so they were able to go out there and help them but it's like in the meantime yeah if you would have you know and you would have had you would have heard that yeah basically yeah i mean even even uh george nixon the third uh he was laying out there and he was crying in pain uh it said that he was crying in pain for help and water but nobody dared to reach him uh, because they didn't want to get wounded right, either. Right, both sides had snipers. Yeah. yeah. You know, wow. Uh, but like you said, they didn't really fight at night. So no. it was after darkness then that uh, a 20-year-old private named Richard Enderlin, uh, he was one of the company's musicians. He ends up responding. He He kind of waits until, like, the clouds roll in and he he kind of 
crawls across the field and he locates this guy that's wounded that's been crying for help and he drags him towards safety eventually when he gets close enough he stands up and and dashes back to his comrades with with nixon and uh he ends up getting uh the medal of honor for his courage uh but unfortunately he waited a little too long i mean i guess he waited less time than others and and he waited till it was safe for him but um nixon ended up dying from his wounds two days later and uh so he gets buried nearby and later it gets reinterred in the national cemetery as you had mentioned um we had talked about the fact that the national cemetery was all the um Union soldiers. Union soldiers who fought in the Battle of Gettysburg. And I don't think I mentioned this in the last podcast, but, you know, this one is a little bit more morbid, okay? Yeah. July 1st, 2nd, 3rd, after that battle was over, so, you know, starting the 4th on, they they were just going around burying the bodies where they found them, basically. It wasn't until October of that year where they started moving the bodies to the national cemetery. Right. Because they didn't have the national cemetery. Okay. So imagine if you took a raw chicken and went out and buried it in the yard. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm listening. July, August, September, October, three to four months. You go dig that chicken up. Yeah. It's not going to be pleasant. No, definitely not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I can do it. Could you do it? Ah, uh, I might because I'm just morbid like that. Yeah. But I'd be puking left and right. You know, well, that'd be a heck of a weight loss program. But anyways, <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, his body was one of the ones that did get moved to the national cemetery, and uh, eventually, his great grandson became president. Mm-hmm. He became our 37th president. Um, but before he became president, he did, as vice president, go visit his uh, ancestor's grave in the National Cemetery. That's right. We saw a picture of that. We did. Well, we were there. Um, one of the um, park rangers uh, at the National Cemetery had a, had a photograph of Nixon at Nixon's grave. Laying a wreath. Yes, and I, and I've said this before too in the other podcast. Take advantage of those um, park rangers, absolutely, because they they have to know the history of this in order to actually work there. But they are a wealth of knowledge, and they love to talk to you. Yeah, and and they have some, and it some doesn't cost cool you anything. It's, too, it's part of the National Park Association. Oh yeah, they carry them. the pictures with them, and we had the one guy that that kind of showed us. Basically, that picture of where the platform would have been for the Gettysburg Address, and another guy that showed us the uh, Richard Nixon being there, and I mean, it was really cool. Yeah, so. and there's different guys there all the time, and what their their knowledge base is in. I mean, they have to know a little bit of everything, but some of them get real into certain facets, right. and. Uh, that's the pictures that they tend to carry are the ones that they're most interested in. So talk to them all. Don't just talk to one. Talk to them all. Wealth of knowledge. 
So, speaking of presidents, um, there's one president in particular that has ties to not the Battle of Gettysburg, but to Gettysburg itself, and that's uh, President Eisenhower. Yes. Um, and, again, if you haven't been to Gettysburg, there's actually a farm there. It's a 168-acre farm that was owned by the Eisenhowers. Um, and you can take a tour of it. That's right. Um, Can't get in there unless you go to the uh, the main... Um, Battlefield uh, Visitor Center. Yes, the Visitor Center. Yeah, and you have to take a bus and go over. Yeah, you but can't take it It's now yourself. owned by the National Park... Um, service. Service, yeah. But uh, anyways, <clears throat> uh, President Eisenhower's ties to Gettysburg started back way back when he was a cadet in... Uh, oh, jeez. Where did where did all the military go? West Point. Um, his class actually went on a field trip to Gettysburg to learn about the battles and study the battles of Gettysburg. So that's how he first kind of got associated with Gettysburg. And um, he kind of fell in love with it. So later on, when, uh, trying to find the page, when uh, war broke out, he put in for a foreign command, eventually, when, uh, um, I forget what war, sorry, I think it's World War One. and he was, yeah, World War One. he put in for a foreign command and was denied, because he was basically too young, basically. I see. And they said, uh, we're going to give you a command at uh, Camp Camp Colt. That's what it was called. That was his first command. And it was actually a tank division where he was training um, volunteers, basically, uh, at Gettysburg. And it was located at the site of Pickett's Charge. Which, you know, since we've been there, all that stuff's been redone and, you know, back to the time. So there was actually a military training base there at the time, and he was commander there. But he had an apartment up north. Remember that? We mm-hmm. walked by the apartment where mm-hmm. uh, he was, uh, where he lived during that command. Now, this is an interesting little tidbit that you probably forgot. Yeah, what's that? Talking about his apartment, Okay. Mm-hmm. For those of you who are fans of ours, with Dark Shadow Ghost Tours, or even this, if you actually go to Dark Shadow Ghost Tours page and click on the crew, there's a picture of Marianne and myself that was taken standing right outside of the apartment where he used to live in Gettysburg. Yes. You forgot that, didn't you? I did not forget about it. I remember taking the picture. Um, and if... I'm not mistaken. Were we not on Lincoln's gold treasure hunt at yes, the we time, were. looking Which for the five, the five of, copies of the, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah. of the Lincoln's Gettysburg oh, wow. address? This all ties together. Look at that! Like we planned it, and we didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, after his command at Gettysburg, um, he of course left and went on to a 31-year career in the military and became the head of NATO forces in World War II. 
you know, five-star general. Five-star general. And um, they were pretty much looking to retire after that. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking, well, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Well, let's go back to Gettysburg since we had such a great time there. And uh, let's see if there's any property to purchase. Yeah. Okay, so anyways, um, of course his retirement was delayed, as we know, um, because in 1952, he decided to run for president. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, officially he retired from the from the military. military. He retired from but the military, then, but he didn't retire for, for good. No, no, he did take run on for some president. other, some other uh, things. So to kick off his campaign, he invited uh, all these Republican leaders to the farm for a picnic. Nice picnic, Aaron. Hey, I would have done the same thing. That farm's gorgeous. Um, and during his first term as president... Uh, Mimi and his wife, or his wife Mimi, they renovated the farm um, because structurally something, the main part of the house had to be redone. Yeah, there were some um, problems. Yeah, and of course since they were event- renovating, they added a few little extra little things to it. Like it parks. has, it has like a helicopter landing spot. It has a, and he was a big time golfer. Yeah, so it has a. One whole golf yeah, course, Yeah, it has right? a one whole, uh, well, it's, it's like, like a right little outside. driving range type thing. Yeah, right outside the building. Uh, he was a big skeet shooter, so they added that. That's way out where he could go skeet shooting. But they added a, an office on there because um, so, on weekends they would go to the farm um, from the White House. And then on vacations and holidays and stuff like that. Uh, he would go up and I think they called it the the little White House or something like that while something, he was president. Something like that, yeah. Uh, he would get up and go down to his office and be briefed on uh, affairs and, and, and things like that. Yeah. And um, the temporary White House—that's what they called it. But uh, he had a heart attack in uh, 1955, and he stayed there and recuperated at the. Uh, at the farm and actually ran the country from there for a while until he's ready to go back to Washington. Um, now, what I found interesting was um, in 1967, this was after he passed away. No, I'm wrong. In 1967, they donated the farm to the National Park Service. But they still lived there. Okay. He died two years later. Um, and he actually passed away in Washington of congestive heart failure. Mimi still lived there until 1979. Okay. But the house was owned by the National Park Service. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then she passed away in 1979. And then in 1980, that's when the National Park Service opened it up for tours and stuff yeah he uh, and he used to do a lot of painting while he was there if you go there you see a lot of the paintings in the in the house are actually paintings that he did Mm -hmm. and on the one porch i believe um they still have the painting that he was working on when he died 
Yes. So the he it was a work in progress, and they sort of have it still set up. He actually was inspired to get into painting when he saw he he was watching a, another painter, and I read this before I forget the names, but he was watching another painter paint that portrait of Mimi that's hanging. There's a portrait of Mimi that's hanging. I think she was in a pink dress. He was he was like, oh, I could do that, you know. <laughs> so he got inspired into yeah. doing that, and he would paint a lot of. A lot of uh, landscape Landscapes pictures mostly. and and you know still photography, flowers and stuff like that. But he did a portrait of Mimi. He did a, a portrait of Abraham Lincoln, a portrait of George Washington, uh, his grandkids. Um, he was a very avid artist, and some hey, of those yeah, were they were really, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I think they said. I think I read he did two hundred and sixty paintings. And, and, and I then had, that one he was working on, yeah, that's yeah. kind of sad. We got pictures of it. Yeah, but I didn't finish. know that he was into painting at all until I went there. Right. Yeah, I didn't either. But yeah. uh, I can imagine that would be very relaxing, just to chill out, you know. But uh, that farm, if you don't, if you've been there and haven't seen it, definitely recommend going there because yeah. it was it was pretty cool. Yeah. They loved Gettysburg. I mean, if if my goal, final goal wasn't to retire on some beach somewhere, <laughs> I would say Gettysburg, too, would be number two, okay. I think. Okay. In Eisenhower's farm. In if they'd the- sell it to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, like I said, I think in the last podcast, I don't think that the Park Service is going to sell that to you. You never know but, what's going to happen. You don't know, but, you know, just like I don't think that the uh, Library of Congress is going to sell me any of Lincoln's uh, Gettysburg addresses, I don't think the Park Service is going to sell you Eisenhower's Farm. I'm just saying. But uh, they they had some other things on there uh, at the farm as well. They had a a big um, uh, greenhouse that Mamie used to use. Uh, They had a huge area with an outside grill and everything that they use for their big parties and well he raised uh angus cows in that big barn and uh i think one of his uh cars was there in that barn too yeah i think i think it might have been there was something something about that i don't know if it was his before or after but (coughs) yeah there's there's a whole bunch of things there i mean it we've been to so many different buildings through it and I can't remember, but was that the one that had the intercom system throughout? Where um, you would push what room that you wanted and it would ring? You know what? I don't remember. I remember the phone system in his office was pretty elaborate. Yeah, but if you think about it, yeah. it had to be. Yeah, but you know, I, I think we're there was the like, country a, from there sometimes. like an intercom system throughout that farmhouse. Cause it could have been. It was a huge farmhouse. I mean... Yeah, it definitely was. And then when you're leaving, the one building, um, the one barn, I think has been converted into a museum where they have all kinds of artifacts from when he was in the war and yeah, all kind of a lot of interesting little things. There was little movies that you could watch too. Mm -hmm. Really cool place. Yes. All right. Well, we are sticking with some presidents here for now. Okay, you got some more president stories? I, I do. Okay. Um, apparently, not only did we have Eisenhower and 
that liked Gettysburg, and Nixon's great-grandfather, who fought in the Battle of Gettysburg and died there. Um, and Abraham Lincoln, who visited. And Abraham Lincoln, Gettysburg. who visited. Yeah. We also have... Now, let me just back up just a second why we're making such a big deal of these presidents being there. If you have not been to Gettysburg, it is a tiny little farm town. <laughs> it is not very big at all. And there's yeah. three presidents we just talked about. Yeah. But go ahead. Okay. Um, but actually, Jimmy Carter's great-grandfather was uh, involved as well. Um, his name was Private Littleberry Walker Carter. And he, Littleberry. Yep, Littleberry. That was his name, Littleberry <laughs> Walker Carter. Uh, and he was a farmer, and he uh, served in... Was he a peanut farmer? <laughs> well, his grandson became, great-grandson became one. But uh, <coughs> he fought at Seminary Ridge as part of Company A of the Sumter Flying Artillery. And uh, his great-grandson also became president, but he he didn't die. Um, Littleberry, he, he survived the battles. Oh, he didn't die. He okay. did not die at the Battle of Gettysburg, unlike Nixon's great-grandfather who did. Littleberry actually survived, um, went on, had four kids, you know, and all that kind of stuff, but eventually leads to another one of our presidents, Jimmy Carter. So I find... That kind of interesting. All these ties to our presidents. To that tiny little town of Gettysburg. Absolutely. But it's not just our presidents, but there's a, ties to a lot of other of our historical figures as well. Um, in the Battle of Gettysburg, we also have uh, individuals who are related to Paul Revere. We have... Um, he... he uh, was actually another Paul Revere. And uh, we know that the original Paul Revere that we know of in our country, at least, it's uh, the American Revolution. And here he is in uh, his descendant in the Battle of Gettysburg. And then we have uh, another one being uh, the uncle of Charles Lindbergh, the first aviator to uh -huh. circumnavigate the globe. Uh, and we have another tie to one of our, actually two of our former presidents, the Adams family. Uh, we had the, um, Charles Francis Adams Jr., who was an officer in the Massachusetts Cavalry. And, of course, we know that eventually this leads to in the past, John Quincy Adams and, of course, uh, John Adams, who were both of our presidents. And as it turns out, Charles Francis Adams, who was in the battles, his son became Secretary of the Navy under President Hoover. So a bunch more of those ties to, to those uh, presidents. And then, of course, there's uh, the tie to the Star-Spangled Banner. Well, you got Francis Scott Key's son who was killed by sickle, but what else? In addition to that, we also have uh, Rebel General Louis A. Armistead, 
his uncle George Armistead was commander of Fort McHenry when the Star Spangled, Star Spangled Banner uh, was actually written and commemorating the, the flag. So those are kind of, to me, exciting and, you know, ties that we don't generally hear about. I always like to look at those different ties. Uh, those are some of our American ties, but we also have some ties to places that are not uh, United States ones. We actually have ties to Napoleon. Um, there is uh, a gentleman who was uh, a descendant of Oliver Cromwell who was fighting in the battle and it was James Cromwell who perished at Triangular Field and Hooks Ridge west of Devil's Den and of course he is tied um, back to Napoleon uh, because his father um, Joseph was an influential French baron who was one of Napoleon's generals during the Russian campaign so that's just another one exciting mm -hmm. you know who else was at Gettysburg who uh, a gentleman who newly formed what was called the Michigan Brigade and that was uh, Brigade General George Armstrong Custer mm. so Custer was there uh, at the Battle of Gettysburg as well well, I'm okay. sure that there's plenty of people that were there that we haven't talked about, but yeah. I just thought that some of these were interesting ties. Yeah, quite interesting. Yeah. So those are some tidbits about Gettysburg and the Battle of Gettysburg and uh, get them out there. Yeah. Some interesting stuff. Um, so if these are things you've never heard of, hey, you learned something. If you heard of them before and think we're wrong, send us a comment. Uh, you can uh, send us a message off of our blog site at untoldhistoryrevealed.blogspot.com. I got that right, right? Yes. Um, and uh, we'd be glad to hear from you. Mm -hmm. uh, good, bad, ugly, whatever. Send us a message. And uh, I guess that'll wrap it up for this one. All right. All right. So... Uh, that ends this episode, so uh, everyone have a good evening. And thanks for listening. You've been listening to Untold History.